Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show. Your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. Hey, so what's up everybody and welcome back to the Conservative Voice Show. So first, I'm just going to start off with that my life has been incredibly hectic lately and I am terribly, terribly, terribly sorry for my lack of the show, lack of producing the show, and Instagram following me on any of my social media. I just haven't been there. And for that, I am greatly, greatly sorry. But I promise you guys, listen, I promise, I promise, I'm going to make it up to you today, all right? So today, I have back the New Era of Republicans founder, Chase, right? That guy, I think I interviewed him like three or four weeks ago on the show, talking about things leading up to, obviously, the election and everything going on in the political world. Well, we're going to do that same thing again today. And it is a doozy. I'm going to tell you, we're both Republicans. He's kind of from that new Trump era Republicans. And I hold kind of those like older school Republican beliefs. And we're going to talk about everything from Inauguration Day to the storming of the Capitol to Biden's first 100 days and everything in between. And make sure you stay at the end because I'll tell you and he'll tell you where Republicans need to go and how all of you young Republicans will play a part in that. And so... Make sure you follow along. If you have any questions, let me know down in the comments below. But before we get there, as you can see, I'm wearing this brand new swag t-shirt called Raise Energy. Let me tell you about it. All right, this right here, this is called Galaxy Burst, and it's pretty good. Let me tell you, it's not as good as my favorite right here, which is Apollo, but this is a new energy drink called Raise, made by Rep Sports. If you know them, they're the, probably one of the leading industries in like supplements and workout um, supplements and things like that for you to take, right? Well, let me tell you, I work in a career where I probably drink about 10 times more caffeine than I need to, and I drink probably at least one of these a day that I don't need to. But let me tell you, if it's a pre-workout or you just need your morning like coffee, caffeine, look no further than raised energy. I'm gonna tell you, it has zero calories, zero carbs, zero sugars, and even more, it has zero of the crash, all right? So swing on over to Rep Sports. I'll leave a comment. I'm oh, sorry. I'll leave a link down below. Use the code TCVS1776 at checkout. Save yourself 15% on all Rep Sports products. Buy yourself some protein powder and some pre-workout. Find, buy yourself a 12-pack of Ray's Energy and some protein powder. Whatever it may be, use TCVS at checkout. Get the body that you want get the energy that you want, and save 15% doing it. Again, the link will be in the show notes. If you watch on YouTube, it'll be in the description down below. Use TCVS1776 at checkout. 15%, guys, and everybody, without ado, let's go find Chase. So, hey, Chase, welcome back. What's going on, man? How you been? I'm just, just going through, just trying to navigate the waters of our current political world that we're currently living in. So I know that you were on like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that. And we, we had a conversation about just everything leading up to the election. And then obviously right before the um, Congress certified the electoral votes, and we haven't really spoken much since then. So as you know, and I'm sure all of the audience knows, the Capitol was stormed and was just taken by force by a group of individuals. Um, I just want to see what do you think about that? And how do you think that that's going to affect us going forward. Um, well, first off, I just want to say 
one thing about about that because um, I think this is kind of a contested. It's obviously a very contested issue, and uh, you know a lot of people have different opinions on it. Um, but I have seen a lot of talk that uh, Antifa was uh, responsible. I've seen a lot of people on the right saying that. Um, now, if I'm just going to be totally honest, uh, from the videos that I saw, and once again, I'm not claiming to have seen every video. You know, I, I clearly don't know everything. Uh, but I, I did watch a lot, a lot of videos from everything that I gathered, um, did not look like a large group of Antifa was there, uh, from what I was able to tell. Um, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. So I do think there does need to be some clarity on that just because, uh, if we keep on making excuses for it like that and, you know, blaming other people for it, um, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think that helps. Uh, but another thing is, you know, there's, there's no need to, um, really, really like de- defend it or try and, uh, justify what happened by saying that it was Antifa because I wasn't there. You know, I'm sure many of the people listening, they weren't there. They're not the ones who did that. So, you know, that's on, that's on them who did it. You know, the people who, who stormed the Capitol, that's not on us. You know, I'm not going to defend them. Um, now I will admit, um, at the time, uh, when the building was being stormed, I did think it was, I don't want to say good, but I, I was more so shocked. I mean, I couldn't, I almost couldn't fathom what was happening because I feel like for so long, uh, you know, the past four years, um, conservatives, you know, they just sit back for the most part. You know, there's not a lot of fight. There's not, there's, you know, there's very little protest. Not, nothing ever gets violent. Nothing ever gets uh, kind of crazy like that. So it was really just shocking uh, to see. Um, but I mean, after something like that happens, uh, you know, it was very short-sighted, I think, uh, to, to call it good or, or, or to think anything good was going to come out of it. Like I did, well, because I, that I have with a lot is it and before parlor was taken down, I was on parlor and then I'm on Clapper, which I guess you could say is like conservative TikTok. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say, and what's truly disgusting to me is that the amount of people that honestly support that on the right. There's a lot of people that are on the far right that are still supporting the overtaking and sieging of the U.S. Capitol. I said in my podcast right after it happened that the U.S. Capitol has not been sieged since 1814 when England stormed and burned the Capitol to the ground. That was the last time the Capitol had been sieged. Well, hold on, hold on just a second there. Because I think that's another thing I've seen circulating and uh, that's not necessarily wrong. Uh, I mean, if you're going to call it, you know, that it was sieged and it was taken over. Uh, But in the sixties, the group black Panthers, they stormed the Capitol and they occupied it with rifles and loaded guns and nothing happened. So I'm not saying that I'm not trying to justify anything that happened. All I'm saying is there's, I I just don't want to do, you know, I think, I think uh, it just needs to be careful, you know, when it comes to saying that it was the first and only time uh, that it's happened since 1812, only because that was obviously foreign, you know, a foreign enemy, the British that burned, uh, you know, that seized the Capitol, burned down the White House. Uh, you know, these were domestic, you know, you know, these were citizens. I will say so that these were, you know, these were our countrymen. Weren't in the capital of the United States. They did not storm the seat of democracy. 
They stormed the Capitol building in California in, in 1967. They did not see the seat of democracy. The building that around the world is a symbol of the free nation. You know? well, well so I mean, yes. To, so there was a siege symbolically, in symbolically. Yes. But, well, listen, symbolically, you could say, yes, it's it is the symbol of democracy, if that's if that's what you want to call it. But yeah, that is inside where, of it, inside of it, I, I don't th- I think it could be you could characterize it as the farthest thing from the symbol of democracy. If you want to talk about what actually happens inside the building. Now, what does the building stand for? Yes, it stands for freedom. Should, it stands for it stands for all the people in Congress that, you know, supposed to represent the people. But that's something that I don't think we've seen for a very long time. You know, this is not like a new thing where our politicians, they don't represent us. And this is not like a right thing or a left thing. This is just politicians in general on the left and the right. They do not represent their constituents. Uh, so when you see something like that. said time and time again. Right. That the House of Representatives have forgotten that they are representatives. They represent the people. Whether right. not their special intentions, not the Democrat Party, not the Republican Party, not independent, not the people. Right. Insert said political ideology that you want, their job is to represent their constituents. Now, so I can, I can agree with that. I guess my biggest issue is, is as Republicans, if we're going to condemn like BLM riots, Antifa riots, KKK. Well, yeah, 100%, 100%. If riots we were condemning pre-January 6th, we cannot right. condemn the riots on January 6th, just because it's right. a cause that we agree with. If we're going to condemn no. them, Right. No, no, no. I, I can totally I can totally agree with that, um, which is why this is why I mentioned I was terribly short sighted of me to be. And, and it's what I, I really don't know the correct word for it, because I wouldn't say I was uh, I was glad that it happened, um, because obviously if, you know, some of it was somewhat scary to to see just how angry some of the people were. But I think, you know, just to go back to uh, my point previously, we kind of have to ask the question because the politicians, they don't represent us. Okay. So, you know, obviously the people who stormed the Capitol, they shouldn't have done it. All right. You know, I think we can all agree they shouldn't have done it, but I think we, I think it's very just simplistic to lay all of the blame at the feet of the people who did it and to kind of overlook uh, the politicians who kind of fomented this and, you know, the news media that fomented this for the last four years. I mean, if when I can you constantly right there, because this is gonna, I'm gonna, I just want to ask you this, okay? While you're on that topic, so you know, in Congress, July 4, seventeen seventy six, the Declaration of Independence was written, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to preface this with that I do not agree with what I'm about to say, but I'm going to propose a question that is going to be very, very heavy handed. So inside the Declaration, it says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, so being destructive to the um, certain unalienable rights among life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? It is the right, right of the people to alter to or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing and power in such a form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happening. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light of transient causes, blah, 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 right? So my question is, right. is are we at a point where our government is destructive to the ends of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and the defense of our unalienable rights? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't even think that's, I don't even think that should be really be a question. I think it's, it's been far too long that our politicians have not represented us. 
This is, and this is, and this goes back to my whole point is this has been building and building and building and building. And, you know, we can continuously keep on blaming the people who do stuff like this, or we can, you know, and here's, I'm not saying we should not blame them because, you know, they're responsible for their own actions at the end of the day. Okay. That is, that is, that is the simple fact. They're responsible for their own actions, but to lay all of the blame at the feet of the people who stormed the Capitol and to absolve some of the blame from the politicians who seriously, I mean, you know, like they just, they don't represent us. They, you can kind of look at it as like, let's put like, just take a, like a pressure cooker. Right. And now let's put Republicans in there, conservatives, just any person right of the aisle. Right. Or hell, I'd even say moderately on the left side of the aisle can throw them in there too. And then the Russia collusion, the last 40 years, the silence in the media, just insert everything that has happened right. to conservatives in the Republican party in the last four years. Put that in the pressure cooker, slap the lid on that, and now you That's have exactly what I'm saying. Politicians, you have Trump because Trump is not totally absolved either. Is his fault that the riots happened? No, but he definitely was cranking that temperature up. So, but, you but, he, but here's but here's the thing as well. If you, and then you turn I, th- I think it's very it's very very easy to say that in hindsight because we know what happened. Now, if you if you want to look at at any politician in a speech that they've given where they give a fiery speech. They would be blamed if right after that crowd then got violent and destructive. Well, I mean, and sh- so then, so then, what I'm saying though is, should we then lay strong. lay the blame at the feet of the politicians who make a fiery speech? He's I mean, not. I'm not saying that. I he's mean, this, this happens. This happens all the time. I'm not saying that he is uh, responsible for it, but a fiery speech is meant to do what? It's meant to fire up your base. Exactly. So I'm not saying that he's responsible for it. That's not what I said at all. But you put him corrupt politicians, and all of those people that have now cranked that flame up underneath that pressure cooker. And there's no place for that steam to go. Eventually, the lid's going to blow. And that's what I think we saw on January 6th. It's just a outward exodus of the conservatives' frustration and ambition to actually have the government that we want, not right. the government that we're receiving. Now, do I think that that was the right way to do it? No. I've said condemn it on the sixth. I'll condemn it now, and I'll condemn it up twenty years from now. You ask me, right? But it definitely—I think—that is what occurred. I don't know if that's something you can agree with, or. Well, well, I, th- I think I think an important thing to to touch on is uh, you you know going back to all the all the things all the crazy kind of things that have happened to conservatives. All of this has happened. You know, keep this in mind. All of this has happened with a Republican president in office for four years. And it, and it almost didn't feel like that for a lot of conservatives, I think, because, I mean, while tr- I mean, Trump was on was on the defense almost for the first three whole years of his term. I mean, he had the Russian collusion, um, you know, kind of bullshit. He had all this type of stuff. And once again, you know, going back to these, you know, private companies like Twitter, blah, blah, blah. He can't really do anything to stop. Uh, them censoring people, you know, like you and me. And so the problem is, is conservatives they see that all of this terrible terrible stuff is happening under a republican president under their guy so then when this you know president president trump now apparently loses uh and you know the democrats are now you know about to be in power and not just you know the presidency they're about to have they have you know they have congress uh they they likely very likely could pack the court and they have the presidency and so if they do that they back the court. They have control of all three branches of government. 
Now, how scary would that be? So what what I think my point is, is Republicans, they, they sit back for four years and they see all this crazy stuff going on and it's happening under their guy. It's happening under President Trump. All these bad things are happening to them. And they, and you know, Trump is doing his best. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that Trump was not doing his best and was not fighting for us because that was, that's the first thing from the truth. He was fighting for us, but one man can only do so much. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that there's almost uh, a reasonable sense of fear amongst conservatives right now, because for the last four years, we saw these crazy things happening to us. And now, you know, and that wasn't even under a Democrat president, you know, it's like this was under Obama, you know, and a lot of this stuff was happening under Obama and it was, you know, starting to get worse and worse under Obama. Yes. But I mean, it just went to a whole new level under Trump because they realized that someone like him, someone who can't be controlled, someone who isn't beholden to special interest groups, let's say, yeah. They they need to make sure that someone like that cannot get elected again. And so it's very, very scary for conservatives as they pretty much, you know, and whether you whether you want to believe if the election was stolen or not, it's a very scary prospect that we're now going to have four years, at the very least, of a Democrat president who happens to be a puppet for China. Um, I and, think scary too you is know, not just the fact that there's a president who's a puppet for China. You have what is his name, Swarwell, who was openly sleeping with a Chinese spy. And, and he was just renamed, or he was just put back on the House Intelligence Committee. It's absolutely terrible. So how, how, so how insane is that, that he's now getting national security intelligence briefings um, after he was confirmed to be sleeping with a Chinese spy? And this wasn't like, you know, Trump is saying this, and, and it's like Democrats have like a, an argument to push back here against this. The liberal FBI, the liberal, like the... Democrat FBI is the one who released this and is the, is the one who found this out, you know? And so that's, you know, th- you know, this is no joke. I mean, we have politicians who are openly beholden to China and their own voters don't care, you know? And it's very, very scary. So once again, what happened on the 6th, you know, it was very, sh- uh, it was very short-sighted because another thing that's going to happen from all of this is we're already seeing now talks of a new uh, domestic terror bill. And now what we're going to see, like we saw under Bush, Obama, and I mean, pretty much every president before Trump. I mean, Clinton, uh, you know, even under Reagan, even under, um, you know, like I was saying, Bush, uh, both Bushes and Obama was the war on terror. And 99% of that was based off, you know, intelligence from the CIA, FBI, we know, whatever, uh, you know, our intelligence agencies say, and it was based on lies, 99% of it. So now we have, and I mean, this is another thing we have to understand. The left has been waiting for a moment like this, where conservatives just lose their shit. Just for one day, conservatives lose their shit. And so now it's going to be 10 times worse than people really could have ever imagined. Because now we have Joe Biden talking about a new domestic terror bill. We are going to lose what little rights we had left. And that, I think, is what is so scary to so many people. And that is why I think there was such an urgency felt among those people who did storm the Capitol, because quite literally, in their mind, whether you, know, you can agree with this or not, they feel like their, their country, our country, is being stolen from them. I think and I wouldn't have it's said a very scary time. Stolen from them? I know for me, for instance, is that, like you said, it is very, very scary to, to have a 
Democrat president? Do I think that that is the end of the line? No. Well, I think what is even more scary is that the fact that you have now have a partisan government. Like yes. you have a Democrat House, a Democrat-led Senate, a Democrat president. All three, and like I was saying, in all likeliness, well, they're going to pack the court. Maybe the House. I'm sorry. With the exception of maybe the Senate, the Democrats that are inside the House and sit at the head of the table of the presidency are incredibly radical. Whether they want to put Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and paint them as conservatives, they're incredibly radical. Very, very, very <laughs> radical. Yeah, exactly. From their inception. Joe Biden, when the Patriot Act got started, said finally, like my 1994 bill is coming to life and supported the Patriot Act, which gave huge, huge power <clears throat> to the federal government when it came to yeah. surveillance and other right. means necessary to intrude on American life. And so I think that is what scares is that for two years at least, until the midterm election, until we have American people have a chance to vote in the House and the Senate, because I think a lot of people do forget that, right? Is that they think that a president is voted in and that is like the end all be all. Well, in two years, there will be a midterm election. A third of the Senate seats will open up for election. And then some of the House seats will be up for election. And so I think these first two years are going to be incredibly rough. I do. It's one thing, one thing I, I just have to jump and I, and I know that we, I think we were, this is a topic we were saving for later on in the conversation, but I think, you know, with what you just said, it's very important to kind of throw this in there uh, because everything you just said is, is hundred percent true historically, hundred percent true that yes, it's not the end of the world. If the opposing party gets elected president. Okay. It's not the end of the world. Like you're saying in two years, you can vote, you know, you can vote out Congress, you can take over control of Congress and you can pretty much stop or just block any and all of his policies for the most part, or the more radical ones uh, that he would need approval from Congress and the Senate. So those, you know, that, that I agree with, but to go, to go back to what I was saying, 11 million people, you know, immigration, if he is, if he follows through and he legalizes 11 million new citizens who are currently living here, who do you think they're going to vote for? I mean, I think we all know that right then and there, that right then and there ruins and kills all of our chances. What is your thoughts on his five-year plan for immigration. So a path to citizenship for 11 million undocumented people in America to have a path to citizenship within the next five years. Um, well, so here's the thing. It's not, uh, you know, I'm all for immigration. You know, if, you know, that, that's pretty much, you know, that, that is how our country was founded. It's how our country was started. We were a group of immigrants. We came over here. And there are, you know, some great, 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 the majority of immigrants that come here are great, great people. And they're hard, hard workers, you know, and, and, and anyone who says otherwise, they, you know, they clearly just, I don't know, maybe they just don't like immigrants. I, I really don't know. But, th but that's just not the case that, you know, there's these hundreds of thousands of people who are all criminals and they're terrible people, uh, you know, coming into our country. But now when you legalize 11 million people over the span of five years, uh, you know, especially in, you know, given the, the circumstances and the context, you know, our country is currently in right now with just how divided we are with our economy, unemployment. Um, is that a smart idea? No. And so that leads me to believe, and, and here's the thing, it's not like I'm saying Joe Biden is smart. He's going to introduce a lot of dumb policies. Um, but, but, <laughs> let's, but let's be honest here. He's not, he's not, you know, trying to, um, legalize these 11 million citizens because he just has a big heart, which is what I'm sure you'll hear 
uh, on on every TV station uh, is, well, he just has such a big heart, you know, empathy, empathy, empathy. That's all they say about him. That's just, that's just not the case. It's because he has 11 million new voters that he now has the authority to legalize and bring into his party. And if that happens, if Republicans do not stop that, if they do not stop that in the Senate, we are finished. The GOP is finished and we can kiss our country goodbye. Well, the problem is, is that even if the Republicans would have to find some kind of unbiased, I'm sorry, bipartisan support inside the Senate to block it, they would need at least one Democrat to cross the aisle and then all 50 Republicans to vote against it. Because sitting now, if every Republican votes against it and every Democrat votes for it, then that's a 50-50 split given him well, I do, by his vice president. To, so I so I could be wrong, but I did. Uh, so yeah, you you might have to correct me on this, but I did. I, I was under the impression that it would need sixty-seven votes in the Senate in order to pass. You're gonna need two-thirds. So, right. So that that, that that's what I had thought. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. You know, fact check me on that. Don't take my word for it. Yeah. But that that that's that's what I had thought. So if that's not the case, then yeah, we are so fucked. We are so fucked. Now, if that is the case that you need two-thirds, it's still even scary. Because I think as we see with impeachment and, you know, not even impeachment, because that's kind of a hot, a hot button issue, because some people do think that Trump was responsible, uh, you know, for inciting whatever, you know, the, the riot, whatever you want to call it, um, the insurrection, you know, which I think is an, an outrageous name to call that. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, if they if they don't stand up and if they don't do something, then we're screwed. And it's very, very likely that they won't, because when was the last time? that they did stand up, you know, Republicans did stand up for, for nearly anything. And, you know, I've done a lot of reflecting uh, since the sixth and just thinking about Republicans and, uh, you know, Republican members of Congress and Senate, what do they stand for? What does the Republican party stand for? I mean, we know it's, it's pro-life. We, we know for the most part, it's, uh, well, we know for the, for the most part, it's pro-police, uh, you know, pro-second amendment, pro-free speech, um, you know, all, all these great, wonderful things. But when are they actually standing up for any of these ideals and not just talking about them to get your vote? And that's my main problem is I have very, very little faith that these Republicans will have any if, you know, they, they, just, they don't have a spine. And, and that's that's what I think is, is more concerning than anything is because, you know, Ted Cruz and, and people like him and, and I, you know, maybe I shouldn't use Ted Cruz because he, he is one of the better ones. But even people like him, I mean. I mean, he's, it's, he's all he ever, all he ever, I mean, he's like, he's like a, he's like an older version of AOC. It's like Twitter clapbacks. It's, it's like what he's best at. I want to see real action. I want to see the GOP actually stand up for what it's voted. I think that a hard stand up for what the base wants for us here is we want the GOP to do X. However, is that what every single, I'll, I'll throw back in, Two things. I will say that we forget often, and it's it's the government's fault that we forget it, to be honest, is that, so I am a constitutionalist, if you did not know that. Right. For every single question that I have relating to the government, my, my attention goes not from the 2021 or 2020. My eyes shoot straight back to the ratification of the Constitution and its amendments. Because that is the framework. All of our questions can be answered inside that document. Everything that is supposed to be done 
from how much power the federal government is supposed to have, from what power state governments are supposed to have, to what the federal government can and cannot be involved in. All of that is- But is, but is the federal government actually following that? Because even, you mentioned, you mentioned the Patriot Act, that is one of the most blatant violations of our rights that were given to, you know, once again, not given to us. These are, as our, as our, as our founding fathers put it, these are inalienable rights, rights that government cannot give you and cannot take away. Okay. These are just inherent rights. The government stripped those rights away a long time ago. I will ago. challenge you with what rights does the Patriot Act infringe on? I mean, quite literally the Patriot Act was used to spy on millions and millions of Americans. But what is needed to do that, that right there is one of the most egregious, I think, violations of, of our rights. With a FISA warrant, which means that it's not. And a, and a FISA warrant was also Amendment. used to spy. And a, and a FISA warrant was also used to spy on President Trump. And I think we all know how phony that FISA warrant was. It but so the, it's not, but it's not challenge, foolish. If you're going to challenge a warrant, then that means that no arrest right. is valid for criminals, no search warrant on houses are valid for criminals because any of them could be made up and used for the wrong agenda. However, the Fourth Amendment does have a warrant requirement, and that is an exception to the Fourth Amendment. So therefore, I do not, I agree that the Patriot Act does extend the arm of the federal government more than it should, especially in that the uh, idea of like um, executive orders. I do not think that the president, any president, Republican or Democrat, should have the ability to just make laws and usurp legislation. Right. I do not agree with that. But I will say that it is also the federal government's responsibility to provide national defense. And the Patriot Act is meant to, in its broad spectrum, protect us against the likes of 9-11. Uh, and so I think that a warrant requirement needed to get that surveillance done is provisionable under the Constitution. So but what on, I was let trying me, to say back is, I think that a lot of people forget, and that, and I'm going to throw this back to, I think it's the 16th Amendment, and just to bring us back onto our topic of the um, Republican Party, is the 16th Amendment is where I think we went wrong in America. I will just be openly honest. Let me make sure I don't want let me make sure I'm right on that. I'm almost positive that is it. But but hold on, I I, I think I, I got to ask a question of you here. Do you you know, you know I'm not I'm not accusing you of anything here. I'm just asking you know what what are your thoughts on this? Do you do you think that the Patriot Act was used to protect Americans or to further enforce the spy state and police state that we're slowly now moving towards? I think that with everything, good intentions, and it's kind of like a pendulum. If See, you think that's where I would have I would have to 100 percent disagree. I don't think there was I an ounce of good intentions in that bill. Think of like 9/11 was out. Think of like 9/12, 2001, right? Think of how unified you saw bipartisanship on every single level of government: local government, county government, municipal government, state government, federal government. A genuine concern that holy fuck, America was just attacked. And what do we need to do to ensure that that never happens again? Right now, we that, now need to spy on millions of Americans. There is a pin. That, that was their answer. We yeah. now need to spy on millions of Americans and infringe upon their rights. But it's not because even, listen, listen, it's, listen. In, in spy, spying on someone as if they are a criminal without any due process, without any like you're saying a warrant, all this stuff. That is all illegal. That is not covered in the Constitution. You cannot just spy on someone because you think they are a criminal. You cannot just 
You cannot just go through their messages. You cannot spy on them because you think they may be a criminal. If you have probable cause exists, have evidence. If probable cause exists for and you and you need a warrant and you need a warrant, right? And you would need a warrant though. So you would need to go to a judge, show them the probable cause, show them the evidence. Yes, the judge would then sign off on that. When is that ever happening with the millions of Americans that are currently right now? Right now, I can guarantee you millions of Americans are being spied on right now. So when, you know, and like you're saying, the FISA courts, those have been known to be manipulated and abused. And I mean, and that's what I'm saying. The greatest example is they, 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 I mean, they did it to the literal president of the United States. Okay. So, so, if, they, so, if, so if they can violate his rights. And at if they no can time. So what you're. all due process there, for him. And no time. No time ever. Ever. That the best interest of the American people shall ever have a warrant but against them that would remove their fourth amendment no because here's i think this is where this is where we're it's going to get lost in the message here i don't know if they have a warrant if they have probable cause then yes 100 percent. if they have evidence that you are uh, if you've been chatting online with al-qaeda or members of al-qaeda whatever you've been chatting online with ISIS, let's say, and they have probable cause or, or they have reason to believe that you're doing this or you're, you're engaging in this type of activity and that you're a threat to public safety, then yes, that is what that is what it was intended for. The Patriot, no, 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 sorry, no, no, no. That's not what it was intended for, but that's what it was sold as, as the Patriot Act. That's what it was sold as is, well, if in the interest of public safety, we're going to take away a little bit of your privacy in the, in the best interest of everyone else. But what I'm saying is that has been manipulated and abused beyond all belief. If you would have told Americans back then, if they could have gone forward in time and seen what happened uh, with Snowden and everything that he released about the CIA and the NSA under, under the Obama administration, if, if Americans could go, go, you know, could go forward in time and see the end result of what happens when you give up a little, even just a little bit of your privacy in the name of security, the government very often oversteps and they don't just overstep a little bit. They, they very often, they take the boot and they shove it down your throat. And so that was that, and so that's my main issue with the Patriot Act. You know, wh- whether you think it was intended for good reasons or not, I don't really think that even really matters. The problem is, is it's not being used for the right reasons. And, and I when can, you have- I can 100% agree with you on that. I just think that to completely throw away every single aspect of that, because but that's not but that's it? not but that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying you know just just get rid of it all and well, throw it all away and well, and never never investigate anymore. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. You're making the argument that has been manipulated, which I agree with. We can agree on that, 100. But to do away with the portions of like the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court and the FISA warrants. And things like that, right? But I, but once again, of, I'm, I'm not saying to get rid of that. I'm, I'm specifically criticizing the, the parts of the Patriot Act that have been used and abused to spy on Americans illegally. I mean, this, this is illegal. Some of the stuff that, I, that, that the federal government is now doing. And I, if, if we're going off the Constitution, what they're now doing with this is illegal. I guess my question is to you is, is that if you have a act that... For what we'll is leave, what we'll is um, agree to disagree or just whatever you want with part of the intentions of the Patriot Act. My, right. my part that I'm going to come back to is that every court in America, regardless, Supreme Court, local court, municipal, circuit, summary, any of them, 
have been manipulated in the, to do great acts of disservice to the American people, whether that be an unlawful arrest, an unlawful search and seizure. Insert said whatever egregious violation right. of the Constitution is. However, I do not believe that the portions of the of the Patriot Act that allow for allow for us to defend national sovereignty. Because imagine if we took all that. Let's say that the Patriot Act never happened, and let's say that we didn't that none of that ever occurred. Let's just scratch that that act. Where would we be right now? And that's so, yeah. look at us. What? How much good has that done? And how? So, yeah, much that, that's into that, that, right. Well, that's exactly what I was actually about to ask you: is Do you think that because of the Patriot Act, that's why we haven't seen all of this terrorism in, in and, the United States within our borders? Well, yes. Is, is at, that, the that is that your position? Besides. Domestic terror. Look at Paris. Paris. How many terror attacks have, has Paris had in the in the last? Let's just go last decade, right? Well, that also has a lot to do with them, you know, just welcoming refugees without even screening them, without even knowing where they come from, if they have any political or any ties with any extremist groups or anything. I mean, well, they I just welcome them with open arms. So I think that's. How would it be for? I think that is, you know, a large reason why you're seeing a lot of this stuff happening in Europe is because they opened their arms to a lot of refugees That's coming true. from places like Syria and stuff like that. And a very good buddy of mine from the UK. And, and that really kind of, right, right. And, and that really kind of screwed them over. But now listen, the, the Patriot Act, I, I can't remember exactly when it was signed, uh, but obviously in the early, early 2000s, we saw under Obama the rise of terrorism. And even under, under the last years of Bush, the rise of terrorism was insane. Now, under the last four years of Trump, and I'm not just... Uh, you know, blowing hot air on Trump or whatever because I voted for the guy. Uh, he quite really crushed ISIS. Okay, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't need to. And, and and maybe I'm wrong here, but there was no scandal of him spying on millions and millions and millions of Americans to do that. Well, here's my what question. he did is he stopped sending them pallets of cash, and he stopped funding terrorism. That's. I mean, that's quite really what Obama did. I mean, he literally funded terrorism. And what that and 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 I don't think Obama, you know, intentionally uh, wanted you know ISIS to form, but in, indirectly, that's exactly what happened because of his foreign policy. You know, he he quite literally saw the rise of ISIS because of the direct actions that he did. And once again, I'm not blaming him, uh, saying that he wanted the rise of ISIS. I think that would be a horrible thing to say. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't put much under Obama, uh, considering what I know about him. But I, I think it would be a little absurd to say that he meant for ISIS to be formed. But I think it's also very, very naive for him to be sending pallets of cash to places like Iran, which are known, uh, you know, funders of, of terrorism around the region. And then, we, you know, we kind of wondered why we saw this huge rise of ISIS. I'm going to bring us back. And I think that what I'm going to end this portion on and move us on to the next one is that you and I are in an agreement in the messaging that the Patriot Act does do very, very bad things for Americans. Yeah. Whether, whether it's, whichever part of it, right? Whether it be the executive order pact, part of it and the, the executive branch's ability to just usurp the legislature and just bypass it completely. Whether it be the start of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act that stemmed from the Patriot Act. What, I think that all of those are very, very bad for America. But 
when we were talking about the Republican Party and the, and the where I was going originally with the Constitution and with what you were saying about the Republican Party and like Senator Ted Cruz and things like that is that oftentimes it's lost that originally the House of Representatives was elected by the people and its constituency. And it was elected by the people because they are supposed to be the most close to the people. And they were elected by the people to represent the people. Senators originally were not elected by the people. They were elected by the political parties that were the in charge in that state. The, st- the state, yes, the, the state legislature. You would elect your state legislature and then they would appoint, exactly. uh, you know, your, your, your two senators. And, and the which reason, honestly, which the reason we, you know, that, would, that would maybe be a senator's original a job reason to go back to that. is not to necessarily represent the people. That's not their job. There's a reason why the Senate's vast majority is like vetting like uh, cabinet members, approving treaty deals, things, yeah. things of national significance, things of huge significance within like right. the constitution's in the, the federal government's original constitutional duties, federal trade and federal defense. And that is the reason, and that right there is where I think that we. I don't want to say what's wrong in America because I'm, it's an amendment to the Constitution that is the document that we follow. But I definitely think that the split and allowing because now the senators are answerable to the people. They they now long, no longer can say let's say if it's a Democrat, right, in a Democrat state, though the Republican bill is better. Let's just say it, or vice versa. Right. They no longer are going to vote for what's best for the nation. They're right. going to vote for what's best for their constituency right. because their jobs depend on them voting well, for how their constituency wants them. Well, well to go back to the whole, they don't represent, you know, our politicians don't represent us. You know, like you're saying in the literal sense, yes, they're supposed to be voting on behalf of their constituency, but they're not even doing that anymore. You know, oh, they're, voting on behalf of, they're voting, they're voting on behalf of the elites and their own political party that tell them, Hey, listen, here's, here's what, here's what you got to vote for. Here's what you got to say no to. Here's uh-huh. what you got to vote yes on. And that's, that's, and I think that's, that, that that's actually a big problem. And uh, yeah, I mean, what do you think uh, uh, Biden's first hundred days is going to be like? Uh, well, I think he's he made a lot of bold, bold promises. Uh, I think I don't know if he's uh, banking on uh, the media to just cover up for him and kind of dissolve uh, all of his words uh, when these don't come to fruition. These you know these kind of crazy plans, like he's now claiming he's going to uh, that vaccinate 100 million people in his first 100 days. Um, and I think that's kind of absurd to think that that's actually feasible. So I don't, I don't know if someone uh, has been telling him that, yeah, this is feasible. This is how we're going to do it. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm sure it is Basing feasible. Grim- but... That's the basement gremlins telling him that. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's feasible to get hundred million shots in, in, in his first hundred days. You know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's very doable. But this is also the federal government we're talking about. Yes. One of the most incompetent bodies, I think, ever. <laughs> I mean, they're just not good at their job. Um, do you think that his student loan forgiveness is good or bad? Um, well, it depends on who. It dep- depends on depends on who you're God. asking. Yeah. Well, listen. It it depends on who you're asking. Uh, if you're asking a college student who's massively in debt, they're going to say, yes, it's a great thing. It's, it's a great thing for me. It's going to free me up economically and give me more opportunity because I won't have this debt hanging over my head. Then if you go to a taxpayer, 
someone in, let's say, a higher tax bracket than maybe the average person, they're now going to be paying for the mistakes of not only the students for falling into these kind of, because here's another thing, these loans are very predatorial, okay? And, and, and they were designed like that. They're taking advantage, the loans are taking advantage of young and to put it mildly dumb college students who think that they're going to be able to get a liberal arts degree and then pay 400,000 or you know, $100,000 worth of debt back. Uh, it's, it's not feasible. And I think the problem lies at the feet of both the federal government and the actual people uh, who do this. Um, and that's not saying, you know, you shouldn't get a, a student loan, but you take out the loan and then now, now that it hasn't gone as you planned, it hasn't worked out. Now you want a bailout. And that's just not something that I'm, that I'm kind of, you know, in favor for, especially because let's say, uh, and now obviously I'm still in college, but let's say, let's say I had $50,000 worth of debt and I was, uh, 30, you know, 30 to 40 years old and I had just paid it off. All right. I just, I mean, I worked so damn hard. I just paid it off. And then boom, 2021 comes, Biden's elected or he's installed. I, I think that's a better word for it. he's installed uh, as, 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 a, as an ex-president. And now it's almost like a slap in the face to people who have done it the right way and the people who have paid back their debt and worked their ass off because now their tax dollars are going to be going to the people, you know, the college students who, are now in debt who, who are asking for the bailout. So you know my better question about all of that? And I kind of just thought about it is, so let's say January 20, 21st, 2021, right? When he becomes the president, when he's inaugurated right. and he forgives all the student debt, let's say he's, it's gone, right? Now it's up to the taxpayers. That doesn't end student debt because next semester exactly all those students or next or next school year when when they apply for their fafsa or whatever it may be right or they get right. student loans whatever right there's just going to be more student debt again like right it's, right it's this is just end so now right. two years from now are are we we just going to absolve the student loan exactly exactly like, are we going to be doing this every four years with every president or or what what's the plan here and, and this is the problem Trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Exactly. Taxpayers exactly. Every and this is four years. This is kind of something that you see almost among the left. If I'm just being totally honest, is you kind of see them. They don't want to attack the real root of the problem. And like I said earlier, uh, you know, just a moment ago, part of the responsibility and part of the fault lies at the at the federal government for not protecting college students more and regulating the banks more, who are giving out these predatorial loans to kind of young and dumb college people. Um, well, no, 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 not, no I'm, I'm not at all saying that, it, that, that the uh, majority of the blame at all goes to the federal government, no. But what I'm saying is they've handled it poorly as well. And now their plan, or at least the Democrats' plan is, let's just throw money at it and the problem will go away without actually addressing the real root of the problem. And like you're saying, the problem is going, the same problem is going to arise next month you know, you know, exactly. They're going to pay off the debt and then the whole new class of college students that come through, what's going to happen with them? So is, is this like a, and, 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 and I haven't read up, uh, to be honest, a lot on his student debt forgiveness plan. So I don't know if he's got something where uh, it's kind of like a long-term thing where um, it's not just kind of like a blanket forgiveness of all debt for, uh, you know, 
past college students who have the debt and current students who have the debt. I don't know if it's going to apply to students in the future. And it's just going to be this thing where it's like, now you, you can just take out hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans and you just never have to pay it back. But uh, I, I don't think it's a good idea to just start throwing billions and billions, if not trillions of dollars at a problem um, without even addressing why this problem is happening or why it's occurring. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think if anything, if we want to stop the, the, you know, the whole student debt loan crisis or whatever you want to call it, we need to be educating college students more uh, to not get involved with these, with these debts. I mean, to, 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 because a lot of, I mean, even parents, it's almost like, I mean, I was never told about student debt. I, I really, I was never told uh, even by my teachers in high school, I was never told, um, you know, look out for this, don't do this, or, you know, be, be careful when, when getting out alone and the interest and all this stuff, you know, I will agree with you. I think that one, there needs to be more education about it. Right. You know, regarding that too, but and I will almost say there is not a student loan debt issue, right? Like, let's say you have $60,000 in student loans. Let's just say that, right? That's a car mm-hmm. payment. That's a brand new car payment, right? Which was a choice that you chose. You chose to go to college at whatever college you decided to go to. Right. Take out a loan for whatever you decided you wanted to take out a loan for. With whatever APR, APY, whatever, insert said loan, right? But people take out loans for everything across the board. Right. So to say that there is a student loan issue, no, that the idea of loans and debt and the exactly gift, it's it's functioning exactly as it was set up. Exactly. There's not an issue with that. And right. I, no, no, I 100 percent agree. I'm going to one and I'm sorry, Chase, I've done this a lot in this one, which actually surprised me is I'm going to challenge your initial statement saying that I think we need the federal government to intervene. I do not think that. I think that. Oh, that, well, no, 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 no. I, well, I, I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't think I said that. I don't think I said we need the federal right? government to intervene. The federal government because they're not protecting college students. I don't think. No, 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 I said, I said, I said blame. I think there's, there's blame on both sides. That is, and, and maybe I should have clarified more. And no way am I saying that the federal government should then now bail out all of these people. That is, that, you know, that is not at all uh, no, no, no. what I meant to say or what I meant to construe. No. Chase, let me, let me finish. I think, I think that the government shouldn't be involved in it at all. I shouldn't at all, zero, zero percent. And here's why, because just like you said earlier, you give the government just a little bit of, say, hey, we need you to intervene on this for X reason. You now have all the federal government now jumping into that little space that you needed them to help with. And now they're going to stick their thumb into another pot that it doesn't need to be involved in. Right. Like that is, that is not where the federal government needs to be that. Because I think you can agree, you put the government in that, you now have the government driving the market. You now have the government driving what the banks can and can't do, what they can lend for, what they can't lend for, instead of allowing the capitalistic nature. Because they could say, this bank could say, hey, I will give you this loan for this amount with X API, APR, right? Right. Well, the capitalist now says, that's a shitty deal. I'm not going to take that. Goes to the next bank. This is what this bank offered me offer me better. And so it's not the federal government's job to bail out or intervene or put any sanctions. That's just the free market. If that's the case, then it needs to be doing that in home loans, car loans, personal loans, credit cards. Well, yeah, exactly. It sets the precedent where it's like, well, where where, where does it stop? If we're going to bail out student loan debt, are we now going to bail out every form of debt or are we just going to you know, are we just going to just start Look, handing out money? So I'm not, I'm not it, it, yeah, all, all of it, it's, it's a, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. Right? So let's say, right. 
because we all know that the left loves the socialistic idea of things, right? Right. They, they love that. Equal things for all, not equal opportunity for all, equal outcomes for all. Yes, so not, equity. Well. not equality, equity. Exactly. So not only that, well, we forget student loan debt. But listen, here, guys, I will also pay for your truck. I will not pay for your car. All you have to do is give me the power. Exactly. To protect you from these very nasty banks. And then I will make sure that you don't have that debt anymore. Boom, they now secured the banks. Okay, well, now I hold the money because now you're gonna take loans from the government. But wait, your wages suck and now you can't repay me. So now I'm going to intern you into some form of servitude to pay back that loan that you took from the federal government at some astronomical right. rate because that's the only place that you can take that loan from. And so I think right. that is a very slippery slope to a very, very bad place for us. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I would agree on that. Um, so I also want to say, Speaking of like Biden being inaugurated and things like that, he was elected by the people, right? Please tell me why 28,000 National Guard troops, armed National Guard troops, are now sitting in the top of Capitol Hill. Well, the crazy thing is, too, is I know you say armed. Many of them actually aren't armed. If you see, if, if you look, they, yes, they are armed in the literal senses. They have guns on their persons, yes. <laughs> they don't have magazines in them. A lot of, if you look at all, all the pictures, I am, I am yet to see one National Guardsman with a magazine in their rifle. I did and, see one, and it was in a state capital. I don't remember what state it was. I did see it. They were standing in front of a Humvee, two guys, and they did have magazines. Whether there was one in the chamber and their weapon was racked, right. I don't know. But that's the only one. I, I will grab them. But yeah, in, but yeah, in, in D.C., though, no, they, they, you know, most of them, they do not have, they do not have magazines in their guns. And the, the reason for that is, well, you can thank Pelosi and Schumer, uh, because they've now called on the, uh, defense secretary, I think his name is Chris Miller or something like that. He's acting defense secretary um, to be vetting all of the troops because God forbid any of them voted for Trump. They must be terrorists and they must want to kill Joe Biden. So the level of kind of craziness uh, that's happening, I, I, I really have never seen, seen anything saw, like it. Oh, funny meme. I don't know if you saw it. I was like, it's funny that the, uh, the guy who won an open and fair election by the people now means 28,000 armed military members to protect him from the people that voted for him. Yeah, ex exactly. And, and by the way, uh, if we're going off of, if we're going off of the narrative here, he's supposedly the most popular president ever. Which he I received think incredibly the most ever votes. Oh, well, it's 100% like, fabricated. Yeah, Listen, he, he supposedly he got more votes than Obama did his first. Yeah, his exactly. First and, and, and not even, and not, and not even like, by a little bit, okay. Like, he got like, well, eleven. He got eleven. Eleven million more votes than Obama. Obama. <laughs> and I mean, Joe. Joe freaking Biden got more. Got eleven million more votes than Obama, and I, I can't believe it. Because much, as much as I don't like Obama, the man was a gifted speaker and a master so, he liar. eloquent. Exactly. He was. He was a gifted speaker and a master liar. He could convince you if you were gullible enough and if you were open-minded enough to him and if you weren't you know if you didn't have your suspicions of him and if you just trusted he was very easy to trust because of how eloquent he, he talked he and he duped and a lot of people way to speak bad about mlk mlk was dr mlk was a great guy and what he did for the american civil liberties and civil rights phenomenal and right but 
I think what got Obama so far is that Obama kind of had like a Dr. MLK vibe to him. Yeah, that he did. He was going to bring the peace, that he was going to be the, the ability. And we saw under Obama that coalition built. The coalition that we're currently facing today was built under the Obama administration. Those outcasts of race, sex, insert said whatever um, ethnic community or racial community or like identity like, politics. I did, identity, identity politics. Right. We saw the, the right who yes under Obama, and now we're seeing that is what we're fighting. The squad, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, right. and Omar, all of those. That is the forefront of the Biden administration, and that is the forefront of those that are going to set the policies for the next at least two years to come. And that is what we're fighting under. Well, and and, and another reason, I mean, very similar. Uh, believe it or not, to President Trump, he was you know he was the populist for the left. And so he was able to pull in a lot of moderates and independents that were skeptical of DC politicians and knew how corrupt politicians were because of his great speaking and because of the policies he was advocating for, he was trusted by a lot of people. I mean, he was running on, you know, we need to stop prosecuting whistleblowers. Um, you know, when our government messes up whistleblowers, they shouldn't be prosecuted. They should be hailed because, you know, we should be wanting to improve as a government and all this stuff. And then the, at the first sign of any um, whistleblower, you know, Edward Snowden, it was immediately the full force of the federal government was brought against him and the hammer was dropped. And, and that's just, you know, one, ba one basic thing. But, but the gist of what I'm saying is, is, is he, was, he was advocating for a lot of populist policies. Uh, you know, he was advocating as a non-interventionist. You know, he was like these endless wars, similar to President Trump. But then again, he was the one who, even, even worse than Bush, I mean, he was like, Obama. I mean, that, I mean, that's what some people called him, Obama. He was bombing places like there was no tomorrow. I got two questions for you. The first one's going to be, well, the first one's not even a question. It's just a statement. I agree. I think that President Trump is one of the few presidents in the last probably 20 years. In the last 40 years, he's the only president to not start a new war. Well, yes, but that's not what I was going to. I was going to say deliver on the oh, majority yes. of his campaign promises. Yes, things that he campaigned on that garnered him the support of the people to be elected in 2016. He delivered and then some on all of them. Exactly. Now, you can obviously argue that he needs to stay the hell off Twitter and stop just making dumb statements because he is the president. Right, right. But right. <laughs> you can't argue with his policies and you nope, can't argue exactly. with the fact that he, like, he's accomplished he almost more than. In his first four years, he's gotten more stuff done than nearly any other president. And it's actually funny you say that because uh, um, I was actually visiting uh, uh, my father and uh, my stepmother, actually, in North Carolina. Um, that's where I just came back from. And so today, and they despise, well, I, I shouldn't say they, they despise Trump. They, they don't vote. Um, you know, they're not really Republican or Democrat. But I, from what I've been able to infer, they definitely lean slightly, slight, slightly Democrat. Okay. But... And I, and I couldn't believe this when they said it. Uh, and they said with the straightest face, they said, well, one thing we will say about Trump is he's definitely done the most out of any president. And I, I could not, I mean, I almost couldn't believe it. I think that's I almost couldn't believe it. But I think about like the election and things like that. And I have a, a dissenting, two dissenting opinions that ran like full bore at each other inside my head. They just fight constantly. And one is that 
I look at the election and I'm like, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. There is so much like at the like least circumstantial evidence that would suggest that the election was not fair. It was not a free and fair election. I think that the fact that they said that this was the most securest election ever in history, I almost makes me laugh, but especially seeing that I think it was like in Texas, I think a lady was just arrested for election fraud. But yeah. It's the it is the it is the most secure election ever. But so I have that, right? And the fact that over 54% of Americans said that he was, that they're better off now than they were four years ago. So Under the pandemic. Wait. Under the pandemic too. Yeah. And you're telling me that the guy who never left his basement, who couldn't get a crowd more than like 100 right. people, somehow just sweep this election. So there's that opinion in my head, right? And then right. At the same time, I have the opinion that I'm like, well, I, I'm one of those few people in the world especially with a few like hard conservatives in the world that I believe in the system. I truly, truly, truly do. I believe in the constitution, the bill of rights, the amendments, the exceptions to the amendments, the warrant, all of it, right? Like I believe in the American system. And so I, I think like, it's important to distinguish the constitution from the federal government, right? Because well, the yes, system, the federal I, government, what I think I have of- to, but If we're going to still trust the government, and still say that because I, I posed the question earlier, if we had reached that point where it was tyrannical and you and I both agreed that we may not be there yet, which means that at some point they're still withholding within the confines of the constitution. So I, and that's the two dissenting opinions, right? Is that I trust that system and I trust that the federal government is doing the best that they can for us, right? But then on the other side of it, I have, well, wait a second, this election doesn't seem right. Like, I, I don't understand how there's all these constitutional yeah. violations that are occurring. And so those are the two things that just slam together, like full bore in my head, just constantly. Yep. I do believe in the American system. I, and I'm, like I said, I'm sure that I'm one of the few people left in America that still believe in the constitution. Cause there's a lot of people that are calling for referendums of it, that the, um, well, I think to, has to be fair, a lot of that, a lot of that is coming from one side of the political aisle. I haven't seen many concerns, at least, and I could be totally blindsided. I could be, you know, blinded just on based of what I see off social media. I have seen very, I'm to be totally honest, I've seen no, I've seen zero conservatives uh, on my page, on other people's pages, advocating for uh, even any tweak to the Constitution, let alone actually, you know, a hardcore overhaul of it. You know, think of like conservative base that was demanded and then was pissed when by, or I'm sorry, when Mike Pence would not overturn these certified results. The constitution, he does not have that power. He does not. There is no point in that constitution where he can say, yeah, those are the state certified results. Well, I'm the vice president, I'm proceeding over this. So yeah, we're not accepting that. Like that nowhere in the constitution is that allowed. But you saw a vast number of people on the right calling for that. Well, I think, well, no, you're definitely right about that. But I think it's, uh, I think, you know, I think it's, it's not just as simple as that. I think there, I think the context of the situation was this year was an unprecedented election year. I mean, we saw claims of voter fraud and uh, circumstantial evidence 
at the very least circumstantial evidence um, that something was up, something happened. Okay. So, and considering that there really wasn't a remedy for this, I mean, and there is the state legislatures, they appoint the electors. That's the remedy for it, uh, you know, for fraud, but the state legislatures, they didn't stand up. They didn't do anything. And I was, and I watched a lot of these hearings in, in the state legislatures and the people who came forward under oath, under oath, under penalty of perjury, and they were telling their story of what happened. These were poll watchers and, uh, you know, election officials, you know, testifying to the constitutional violations and the, in some cases, fraud that they personally witnessed uh, to see the level of representatives in the state legislatures completely dismiss them as crazy or conspiracy theorists. I was almost blown away because even on, on, on a state level, you assume that uh, your representatives on a state level are more connected to you than the people in D.C. The people in D.C., the politicians in D.C., they're very disconnected from real Americans and in their life and, and what they want. You know, they're a lot of them are corrupted and a lot of them couldn't care less. And a lot of them, to be fair, they just don't know. They're clueless. And on a state level, that's not something that you or at least I, I had assumed that I would see um, to the level that I did. I mean, I saw um, multiple senators from the Michigan um, from Michigan legislature. Um, pretty much scoff and laugh at witnesses who were risking their reputation, possibly their jobs, and possibly even their safety of not even not only themselves but their family members to say what they had witnessed on November third and fourth, yeah. and to see to you know to see them just totally dismiss them and and act like these weren't even issues. That's a, you know just to go back to January sixth too. That's another reason why people were just so angry. Because no one even was listening. We, you know, there was all these claims and all this stuff and all this evidence, and no one even took any of it seriously. And that's what that was. I mean, that's what was so frustrating. So the next question, I completely understand, and I and I agree that the the amount of information, I'm sorry, not the amount of information, the amount of like attention that those claims received was incredibly low. It was it was disgraceful to, to be totally honest, in my opinion. Yeah, I, and I agree. I think that, and I said it from day one. I'm sure you watched my show, and so if there's evidence, it needs to be investigated, and until all the evidence is heard, and the, all the court cases are adjudicated, and a legitimate, a legitimate investigation has been conducted, like Ted Cruz said, when in on January sixth, we're not asking you to overturn the election. I'm asking you for ten days to have an honest, unbiased investigation. Yes. Because over half of America does not believe that the election was- And that's, and that's all we asked for. That's all we wanted. That is all we wanted. And if, I think that what- And I promise you right now, if, if they took us seriously, those people would not have done what they did to the Capitol. If they, if they felt like they're, that, you know, what happened at the Capitol was a group of people who for, for, not, for not only the past four, or sorry, for not only the past two months, you know, after, since, 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 since after the election, but for the last four years, they felt berated, silenced, and they felt harassed by, not even just by the left, by even some of their own politicians in the GOP, you know, if we're just being totally, totally honest here. And they were just fed up. I mean, this, because especially with how, you know, big of a contested election this was, I mean, one of the most important elections I think uh, we've had in a while, especially given how divided our country is. Um, and just the stark contrast between the two, the two you know, the two candidates, um, it was a very, very important election. And to see so many claims um, and then to see just about none of them uh, really given the time of day, 
uh, by anyone with any power uh, was really disheartening, I think, for a lot of people, a lot of people. Speaking of January 6th, I want to bring up something huge that's coming from it. And you've been on social media. You've been silenced yourself. You've been shut down and had your account banned, blocked, removed. What What do you think? So I'm going to just say it all right. So currently past January 6th, the left, the mainstream media, tons of politicians, political hats, whatever you want to call them, right, have called for the silencing of conservatives and Republicans across all platforms, mainly because they're like, well, you voted for Donald Trump and it is Donald Trump's for all this. And this, these riots were just an outcome that you all knew was coming. And so because of that, you should not have a platform and should not be heard because you knew this was going to happen all along and you still voted for them. Right. So what do you think is going to come? How far do you think this is going to go before it gets any better? Well, um, you know, and, and it's, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer. I mean, I don't want to depress anyone who's listening to this, but it, I really don't think it's looking good. And I didn't think it was looking very good even before the events that happened on the 6th. And now, like I was saying, you know, earlier in the podcast, um, this is going to be used against conservatives for the foreseeable future, you know, for years and years to come. And all it took was one, you know, it was was like uh, over a span of like three hours. All it took was three hours of weakness from only a few hundred to a couple thousand people. Um, And they will now use that, those actions of a small, small, small few and they will now apply that to the 75 million Americans who voted Republican and who, who voted for Trump this year. And, and that's, they, that's the scary thing. I mean, they're already talking about a domestic terror act. I think that it's, and once again, the, see all this, especially seeing that given their mindset, that means that every single Democrat, which this is not true. Right, right, right. This is not true. Is that every single Democrat is supports BLM riots and the burning of streets by that because Joe Biden, exactly. that's his party that did that. So does that mean every single exactly. person that voted for him supports those? No, exactly. They no. announced the riots a week after they happened when he finally emerged from his basement, saw the light of day, probably because somebody just brought him up on their leash, but he did denounce it nonetheless. But does that mean that every single Democrat then supports BLM and Antifa? I don't think no. so. Exactly. No, exactly. I mean, I have... Exactly. I mean, I have I have multiple family members who voted for Joe Biden. And uh, at least when it comes to my uncle and my aunt, I, I don't I, I don't think I mean, they don't seem like the type. Uh, I know they're very they're staunch Democrats, but they're not the type to support riots and violent protests and stuff like that. Um, and not once when I saw BLM and Antifa attacking innocent people in the streets that I stop and think and say, wow, I can't believe my family members support this, you know, who voted for Joe Biden. You know, because that's just not the case with a lot of Democrats. And it's the same thing with Republicans. It's not the case that, um, you know, Republican, the majority of Republicans supported what happened on the 6th. But the scary thing for Republicans is, and here's where the big difference is, is the people who do support it on the left have a much larger platform and they have institutional power currently in our government. And that's the scary thing. You did not see after the 6th, you did not see one Republican who did not immediately denounce wholeheartedly what happened on the 6th. We still have hundreds, hundreds of Democrats in Congress and, and including, I mean, Kamala Harris herself, what has she said about the violent riots? She set up a bail fund to bail out the rioters. 
So quite literally, she didn't. She, it's not that she denounced them. It's not even that she stayed silent. She actively supported it and funded it. So she never even did a bail exactly. fund for all those that she put in for simple par- marijuana possession. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that so so so, here, so here's the scary thing though. Is what I'm saying is, it's not like the 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 bad Republicans and, and the people on the far right. Um, which I wouldn't even call Republicans, the, the people on the far, far right, they don't have institutional power. They are not members of our current government. The people on the far left, the people who actively called for violence, who, the people who actively supported and even funded it, they are about to hold the highest office in the land. So if that doesn't concern people, then I, I, I don't know what does. Um, because like I'm saying, if, it, it would be scary. I think the infringement on our freedom of speech is probably the scariest thing that I have seen in my life. Like yeah. I have deployed, I'm a cop, I live my life, and in, in my 27 years of living, the silencing of millions of Americans, the deplatforming of certain companies, the pulling of advertisements from certain people, just because they're a conservative and the silencing of their First Amendment is probably one of the scariest things I have seen in my entire life. No, it is. That's it, horrifying. Uh, it is the scariest thing. So my last and, question for you, Chase, is with everything going on, with everything that's about to happen on Capitol Hill tomorrow, the next few years, how do you think the Republican Party moves forward? And what roles do young Americans like yourself play in it? Um, well, to touch on the first, the first kind of part of that question there, um, where does the Republican Party go from here? <laughs> uh, I don't think the trajectory at the moment, and like you're saying, we have two years for the trajectory to change. It's currently not headed up, at least from everything I've been able to tell. With all the pissed off people right now, um, the pissed off conservatives and the pissed off Republicans, rightfully so, the party is not looking good right now. The party is very fractured. And to add fuel to the fire, you have now top, top Republicans, uh, Liz Cheney, um, you know Mitch McConnell, who... Um, well, Mitch McConnell's there. I mean, he hasn't openly supported impeachment, but he's flirted with the idea and he hasn't said that he would vote against it or that he would whip votes, uh, you know, against it at all. So he's pretty much left the door open to convicting Trump and Liz Cheney, the, you know, the third most powerful Republican um, in the House. She voted to impeach Trump. And so all that this is doing and I, I really don't know if the GOP is just straight up, you know, stupid or, or what they're doing or what they're thinking. But people like Liz Cheney, they are hurting the Republican Party and they're hurting themselves, I think, more than more than they could imagine. Um, so, right. I mean, right now, uh, you know, it's, it's not looking good, I don't think, for the Republican Party. But like, like I said, we've got two years to, to turn it around. So and you can agree with me if you agree with this, is that, like you said, it is a fractured party. You have all their Republicans. And right. You have new Trump era Republicans. Exactly. And those are the two, I guess you could say like subcategories in the Republican party. But unfortunately is that the Trump era Republicans don't support old era Republicans and all their Republicans aren't supporting new Trump era Republicans. Yep. And I think that until there is a mesh of those two, I think that is, if I was to say, where do I think that it needs to move from here is I think that inside our own caucus for just a, a five minutes, we need to ignore 
the, the Democrats, the liberals, the progressives, all that, we need to look, just ignore them. And us as a caucus need to turn inward and look at ourselves and fix our party, fix what's yeah. going on inside the Republican party. So then as one party, we can attack and then defend the American right. constitution, the American values against that other party. And right. the other side that is currently with, and I hate to say that I hate to put pit two political parties directly right. together because we are one country. I think that that is very polarizing words on my behalf. But what, I, what I'm saying is that there is a direct assault on conservatives, Republicans, and a direct assault on our freedom of speech. Yes. And so the only way to do that is, I think, to move forward, and you can agree or disagree, is that we need to just ignore them for a second. Just let them do what, do whatever they're going to do. Right. Right. We need to straight ourselves out before we can start focusing on, on, you know, fixing the problems within the other side of the aisle. And I think that is the role that young Republicans hold is that eventually it's going to talk about it. Mitch McConnell, Liz Cheney, all of them, eventually they're either going to get voted out of office or they're going to die. There's no, right. you know, like, but ensuring that there's young Republicans to fill that seat that are legitimate Republicans, people that actually care about won the caucus because everyone's going to give Mitch McConnell a hard time, but I gotta, I I gotta rewind. I would be remiss if I did not say this and you're going to disagree with me, Chase. I know this, but I have to say this. Mitch McConnell for all. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Mitch McConnell did one great thing. Oh man. Mitch McConnell is very, very good at far sight protecting the Republican party. The not, necessarily the people, but like he understands that that pendulum of government that, okay, we do this right now, but eventually that pendulum is going to swing back the other direction. And right. what is that pendulum going to do when it's on the other side of the aisle? What is that going to do to the Republican party? And that is the, up until January 6th, I will say, that is the one thing that Mitch McConnell has always been good at, is protecting the caucus, protecting the party and ensuring that the party's majority in the Senate is protected. Um, I think I, I think part of what you said has some truth to it, actually. Um, one thing I would disagree on, though, just with that last part, uh, like you said, um, he's very good at protecting the majority in the Senate. He quite literally lost us the Senate. I mean, in my, in my, in my eyes, a week before the runoffs, he decided it would be a good idea to shoot down a $2,000 stimulus check which happened to be, whether, whether you think it's a good idea or not, it happened to be wildly popular. And from a political stra- like strategy point of view and perspective, that was a terrible decision for him to, in the eyes of many voters, and this one thing, I'm not saying that this is the case, but the, you know, this is how the voters perceived it. It was very cold-hearted of him to slash down the 2000 because it provided the greatest opportunity that Democrats could have ever asked for. I mean, I saw buses um, outside of voting stations, huge, huge buses, you know, DNC buses, where all it said was vote Democrat, get $2,000. I mean, that was half of that was that was half of their campaigning. And it absolutely crushed us. I think that I don't think that I don't I think that I will stand by that. I think that he did a great job denouncing that bill. I think that it 100 percent should not be passed and it ever, regardless of what people want. Because that's the same. We're right. That we're, is we're right. But remember, right, but that's what I'm. But, but we'll, we'll hold on. That, but that's what I'm saying though is whether you whether that's what I'm saying. I, I'm. I, I didn't even say that that I agreed with 
the 2000 per se. I mean, I, I think, you know, where I stand on that, but you know, yeah. with that, without even getting into that, I'd, I would, right. Right. But without even getting into that, I didn't even say that I supported the two. It doesn't matter if you support it, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, the voters, the people we needed to vote for us, you know, to get, uh, you know, Loeffler and Purdue uh, back into the Senate. They were very upset by that. They were you pissed. I think it was. And at the end of the day, the voters matter much more than what uh, McConnell what I thinks. Think. This is what I think that it, I think that we lost the Senate. And I hate to say this, but was at Trump's hands. I think you could put Georgia at the feet of Donald Trump because a lot of Republicans didn't trust the Dominion voting systems there. So there are probably hundreds of thousands of Republican, Georgian Republicans that did not vote because they did not trust the voting system. You had days before the election, Donald Trump saying, don't trust Georgia's voting systems. Well, listen, well, listen, I, I think I, I think I think it's a fair point. I think it's a fair point, but I think it's also a little too simplistic. I think a lot of I think a lot of it had to also do with Republicans just being pissed with the GOP in general. I think that, um, that you know, and oftentimes that there's a a lot of misunderstanding. And I said this last time you and I talked that the same way there is with law, civilians or voters believe the law works some way. And that's not just how it works until they get pissed off. I think a lot of Americans believe the government can either A, do something that they can't, or B, want them to do something that they shouldn't, or insert set right. item, and they just don't understand. Like you said, they just they get a, a really simple view. Of, right, oh, 100%. Not. When there is, they don't do this because of this, but it's actually because of this, and this is tied into this. And they don't look at that big, big, broad picture. I can, I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like you say, it, it's a multitude of factors. I mean, I think it's, I think it's uh, on my part as well. I I think it's too simplistic for either of us to say, uh, you know, for you to say it was Trump's fault we lost the Senate. I think it's too simplistic for me to say uh, McConnell lost us the Senate. You know, I think you could easily say that uh, Trump didn't really help. Um, You know, he did campaign for Loeffler and Purdue, but 100% casting doubt on the voting systems did not drive up turnout. You know, and and whether, whether you wanted to debate whether the voting systems were secure or not, or whether it even would have mattered, you know, that, you know, that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, is a lot of people were pissed off with the GOP as well. And they, and they, and they wanted to stick it to Mitch McConnell and, and everyone who they've been pissed off with, you know, and, and the people who they thought abandoned Trump, what, it was what, kind of like a big fuck you to. What would young Republicans then play moving forward in that? I don't want anyone to get offended here. This is not ageist or anything like that. It's a, statistical fact here the the demographics of the republican party um a lot of it is older voters um so i think obviously you know the the people like myself people like you the the younger kind of republicans the younger kind of voters um they obviously have a very big role to play um but i think people like you and me we need to be focusing around people our age right because that's something the democrats are very good at is they they kind of they knew that they kind of realized okay there's such a, a big gap in support between, um, you know, older people for Democrats and Republicans. You know, like I said, older people very, very much so tend to vote Republican more than they do Democrat. That's just a fact of the matter. And they kind of and this is totally you know messed up, but they kind of just gave up on that demographic. And they said, OK, we're going to shift all of our kind of energy to the 30 to 40 year olds and the college age kids and above. And because the people who are 18 to, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but around 18 to 25, that's the biggest voter demographic 
in this past election. That was the biggest voter demographic. And the young people showed up. They showed out. And they didn't show out for Donald Trump. And uh, um, that, that really hurt us. And so the GOP's just messaging. To, just so I guess summarize that to make sure that I'm on the right, that I'm understanding, is that the young Republicans, we need to then focus our attention on the same demographic as us. So those from exactly. my community below exactly. and, and get them on board with conservative values and conservative beliefs. Right. Awesome. Right. Well, well, Chase, I appreciate you for coming. As always, it's always a blast. I know that this one, actually, I thought our last one was pretty heated, but it's just, it's always nice to have cordial dissent, especially against those that, that you believe and have so much in common with. I, I think that if this yeah. kind of conversation can happen among, amongst other Republicans in our caucus and then across the aisle with our, our peers that a lot more things will get done in America. If you could just have a cordial conversation of dissenting opinions. 100%. As always, man, as I've always said, if you ever want to come back on the show, man, just let me know. Until then, guys, I wish all of you a great and happy hump day tomorrow. Make sure that you tune in for some live inauguration coverage tomorrow. And as always, God bless you and God bless America.